I don't but, even know why you're considering running thirty eights. What, like, what, what are you even saying right now? Why would you ever <laughs> run thirty eights for any race ever? I don't understand. Well, f- for one, because they're already on my my wheels, <laughs> and those wheels are already on my bike. <laughs> oh man, you're doing Scott um, proud. What up, party people? First off, I apologize in advance for any subpar audio quality today. I am down in Arizona for the first Belgian Waffle Ride event of the year, and I completely forgot my microphone on my desk before I was packing. Well, oh well. Good thing Dylan and Tyler sounded great as usual, so they make up for it. We talked BWR, tires per usual, aero gains, and more, so kick back and relax your way through the latest banter. If you have any questions for the show, drop us a note at bonkbrospodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and slide your way into those DMs. And hey, if you're down here in Scottsdale for the BWR madness, come find me and say what up. Oh yeah, one more thing. Shout out to our newest VIP Plus patrons, Ryan and Joel. We appreciate you and all the rest of our show supporters for helping us continue to clog your brains with meaningless tire talk and race banter. All right, let's get this party started. Are you down in Arizona right now for BWR? Yeah. Yeah, I got down here. Dude, you want to hear my nightmare travel story? Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. So the cheapest flights I could find by like a few hundred dollars were out of Omaha. Mm -hmm. So I started my travel journey driving three hours to Omaha. Wow. Got there. I was, I was, I left late too. I, I left with, with an ETA that would get me there like an hour and a half before my flight, which like checking bags and stuff like that you just never know so i was like a little a little nervous and stressed that i was gonna like potentially be late i get there my first flight's delayed so i'm like okay cool i've got some breathing room so then then i connect over to denver so i left at 12 30 in the afternoon okay uh-huh. connect over to denver and now since the first flight was late i was like oh crap maybe i'm not gonna make my connection touchdown in denver find out the next flight's like half hour delayed I'm like perfect it's like meant to be. So I'm waiting there an hour delay. I'm like, okay, great. Now we're getting in. Like instead of getting in at nine 30, we're getting in at 10 30. That's mm-hmm. mountain time, which is an hour behind my normal time. Well, ended up being that it was, they pushed it all the way back to two and a half hours delayed. So I didn't touch down in Phoenix until midnight local time, which is 1am my time. Mm-hmm. Then I get my bags Half hour later, get to the rental car line, and there's a two-hour wait to get my rental car. Yeah. So, so then I get my rental car after two-hour wait. They, they, at, they were like scrambling so much to like get people through the line that they were just like telling people like, go find a car that has keys in it and take it. Right? Like, it didn't matter <laughs> what car you booked, which was good for me because I booked like the mystery car. Um, and they had a ton of Mustangs left in the lot. And I was like, shit, if they put me in a Mustang and I've got my bike bag and all these other bags, like, there's no way I'm going to make that work. Yeah, but so, you'd be rolling up in style to the BWR. Dude, I mean, I was imagining it. I was like, how sick would it be if I'm, like, doing burnouts in, like, the parking lot at the start? That would be awesome. But so anyways, so I get through the line and they're like, you know, all right, go on your way. Go pick whatever car's got keys in it. So I go out there, there's two minivans, I'm like, sick, I'm going to get a minivan. Check both of them, no keys. 
The second one, actually, I don't, I don't even think it was a rental car because it had, like, a car seat in the back. <laughs> I, like, went to open it, and it, like, the alarm started going off, and I was like, oh, crap, that's not good. So then I, like, checked, like, a bunch of other cars, like, a couple SUVs, a pickup truck. None of them had keys. So finally, I, like, checked, like, the last one left, and it was this gigantic uh, Chevy Suburban, and it had keys in it. And there was, like, there it was, like, a madhouse, too. There was, like, people running all over the place checking all these cars for keys. So I, like, hop in press you know the start button to turn it on so i could like you know nab it um and then start putting my stuff in and by the way like the chevy suburban is like the biggest suv possible it's like insane how big it is so anyways all said and done i got to the house that i'm staying at at 4 a.m local time so 5 a.m my time which means so five so that's like 17 hours of travel basically can you imagine if you're in there man in Dude, yeah. I could have I could have driven here in in I, yeah in a, in the same amount of time. Uh, can, man, can you imagine well, if you had just flown in on like Friday before the race kind of thing and doing all of that like the, day the night before? before? That was yeah. So here, here's here's like the the kick in the ass for me. Last week or like last weekend, so like this would have been like three days before I was leaving. Just for kicks, like I was I was kind of like dreading the whole like Omaha transfer like thing. I was like, I'm just gonna check again see if there's any local flights. So I checked flights out of Sioux Falls, and there was a cheaper flight that had, like, the perfect times flying, like, the same time on Monday, direct, or not Monday, Wednesday, direct, fly back Monday afternoon instead of, like, 6 a.m. on Monday. Um, And I almost booked it except the fact that the rental cars out of, it was a different airport that I was flying into, and the rental cars out of that airport were, like, twice as expensive. Mm. So I was like, oh, then I'd have to, like maybe Uber over to this airport to pick up my rental car to like save some money. I'm like rolling on a pretty tight budget this year. So like money's everything. So I like didn't book it. And now I'm like, from now on, it's like, no, if there's a local option where I can fly direct out of Sioux Falls, like I don't even care. I'm paying the extra money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how far of a drive is it for you to get from your place to Arizona? It is like eighteen hours. Eighteen hours, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely that's definitely pushing the limit of what I'll do. But if it's, I would say that for me, I I know a lot of uh, pro racers that they'll do a flight if it's like five hours away. Like they're yeah. like, I just I'll just fly, and I'm like, that's so much of a headache. I honestly, I would say that probably fifteen hours is my limit. Like even if it's going to take me a little bit more time to drive, it's so much less of a headache. If I just pack the car, have all of my stuff, don't have to unpack a bike and pack a bike and then, and then yeah. worry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so much harder to pack for flying too. Mm-hmm. Could just be so much more strategic yeah. with what you bring. I got yeah. screwed earlier this year. Like I hadn't flown to races in a, in a couple of years, but flying up to, uh, out to the East coast and then drop, like we drove up to Rochester like you just take a gamble. I mean, you just take a gamble for cross, at least on like what tires can you bring? Like mm, yeah. there's not a ton of people with Cannondales, you know, cause they have a weird offset with the back wheel. So it was just, <laughs> I was just running like intermediate treads for like the muddiest race of the season, <laughs> um, which was great. But yeah, I mean, it's for sure like a hassle and the benefits of just driving and having all of your own stuff are, it's, as you said, Dylan, just like so easy just to know that you have all of the possible yeah tire combinations or wheels or what have you yeah yeah for sure yeah and like like i usually think about it from like an energy expenditure stance it's like 
you know, driving seems like it's more energy, but dude, 17 hours of like air travel transit, that was way worse than driving. I well, also, you didn't, you didn't get any sleep two nights before the race. I'm assuming you didn't get any sleep because you already have trouble sleeping. So yeah, I'm I, assuming yeah, you don't sleep on planes. At, I was up at 430 the night, the, the night before. So I was up for okay. over 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. You got, yeah. you already, you already got your excuses ready. <laughs> for uh for post race <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> is there snow there i've seen pictures of snow on the ground on the course so i mean they're really exploiting the fact that it snowed <laughs> okay um i mean there was snow like like we woke up to snow yesterday morning mm-hmm. um not here like i'm staying in like north scottsdale like there wasn't snow on the ground here but up in cave creek which is like 20 minutes north where the race is starting there was snow there and I don't know, like, like there, there's like a cold picture, like Nicholas Roche had a picture of him like pre-riding yesterday in the snow. And I don't know why, it, I don't know why they did that other than like, Hey, I want to get some sick photos of me riding in the snow. Cause like yeah. I rode in the afternoon and there was no snow and it was like almost dry. So mm-hmm. like, I just don't know why you would choose to ride in the snow and mud if you didn't have to. Yeah. Content. Also, I don't. As a yeah. race promoter, I don't really know why you'd be promoting the fact that your race has snow. I don't think that's gonna entice people to come. If there's like some last minute people that are on the on the edge of coming or not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Um, what tires are you gonna run then? Yeah, it's a good question. So, so, <laughs> so yesterday I pre. It's like every gravel race, man. It's <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, the tire yeah. discussion. Seeing as Dylan has all the Pathfinder forty sevens, we know you don't have any of those to run. So, like, <laughs> dude, I actually, next? I actually do have some. What? And I brought them with me. Um, so I have my no frame. I- my frame. My frame would clear forty sevens with one millimeter to spare on either side. Okay, that's you might have to cut. You, you might have to cut the side knobs off the Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah, not doing that. Okay. <laughs> so, so I brought them cause I was like, if it's going to be super dry and like fast, like on, on the off-road sections, then like clearance doesn't really matter. But mm-hmm. with like any potential for mud, which yesterday there was some like mud spots, um, like there's no way. So I, I had 38s yesterday and I, I, I pre-wrote what I thought was the course, but I was looking back at like the, like the route that I took on Strava compared to like the, uh, the race course route on map my rides or whatever they use. And I took like this blue single track section. And apparently the course has taken this like green single track section. So the part that I rode, you know, according to like, I don't know how they rate the, the, the trails or whatever was a little bit more challenging. And I thought 38s were fine. Like, like hmm. it was awesome. Um, I'll probably run the 42s just for like a little bit extra security. Like at this point, my fitness is like not up to par enough to like really hang with the front group anyways. So like I'd rather just finish the race than like have to worry about stopping and fixing tires. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't but, even know why you're considering running 38s. What, like what, what are you even saying right now? Why would you ever <laughs> run 38s for any race ever? I don't understand. Well, f- for one, because they're already on my my wheels <laughs> and those wheels are already on my bike <laughs> oh man you're doing Scott um, proud yeah i mean and, and i only have one set of 42s like ever so like i i run those for training because i don't want to like flat my 42s i'll save those for the race day i brought a wheel set with 42s so i rode 38s because I, I don't want to flat the 42s until sunday mm. okay yeah 
I got a, I got a lot of that, that Instagram post that I made with the picture of all my 47 pathfinders. There were so many people that replied to that. It was insane. <laughs> were but they a lot pissed of, off? Nah, well, some people were pissed off, but I think they were joking, you know? <laughs> you think so? Well, I don't know. Just wait till they find out where you sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, yeah, when you there, there were a couple of people that were like, "Make sure you lock your doors at night." <laughs> <laughs> um, but almost all. So not every single tire in that picture is a forty-seven, but almost all of them are forty-sevens. And a couple of people asked me, like, "Would you ever run the 38s? And the answer is no. There's not one single race in the country that I would run 38 Pathfinders. I would consider running a narrower, different tire. But interestingly enough, if you go on BicycleRollingResistance.com, the 38 actually has more rolling resistance on a steel drum than the 42. So on gravel, you know it's like it's definitely slower. So is that at the same pressure, though? No, he does it at different. the The guy does it at different pressures. So, okay, like, so he tests he out a number like a, of different. He uses pressures. a relative pressure. Well, that is a good point. He he tests at like four different pressures. So I guess what you could do is you could you could and he tests at relative pressures. So if you look at uh, like he's got very low, low, medium, hard, and then very low, like very low, low, medium, and hard is different depending on how wide the tire is. So yes, okay, it is relative. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause there's like, there's, there's pressure, but then there's like tire tension. So yeah. depending on the size of the tire relative to the pressure that's inside the tire is going to give you a different effective tension of that tire. So like the 42 at the same PSI as the 38 is going to have higher tire tension. So I was just yeah. wondering if like maybe that played a role in the rolling resistance, but sounds like not if he's, if he's using like no, he, yeah, he relative uses... or effective pressure, then yeah, then that makes sense. Off, but but there's a range. So for tire, like for example, for tires from 40 to 42 or 40 to 43, it's this pressure. And then for tires from 30 to, you know, 30 to 34, it's this pressure. So if you're on the low end of the range or the high end of the range, it could be skew, you know, skewing the yeah. result a little bit. Hmm. The point, the point I'm getting at is that I would never ever run the 38 Pathfinder for a race. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think there's a single gravel race in the country that I would run anything less than a 40 at, like including BWR California um, and including like these uh, like Michigan races where people ride their road bikes for some reason. Um, like, like you're talking like Barry Roubaix. Yeah. Are you doing that this year? Mm, probably not. I don't even know when it is. It's, uh, it's, like it's fairly month. early. It's like, yeah, it's like in a month or something. Okay. Um, Old. So what tires will you run at Mid South? Uh, it depends on I don't know conditions. Dude, I, so dude, I up have, in the air for that. I place. have an idea for you. Are you driving there? Yeah. Um, I have an idea for you. I don't know if you want me to say it on the air. Say it. Dude, any, say right. it. So what do you mean? So if conditions are muddy, like I don't top, know if you're, top secret idea. <laughs> I don't know if you're planning on doing this or not. If conditions are going to be muddy, whatever you're you about should, to say, I, I think I'm way ahead of you. But go ahead. Okay, I, I think you should bring your drop bar mountain bike. Way ahead of you. <laughs> okay, because then you could run your 47s, and you're going to have so much tire clearance, it's not going to matter if, if it's muddy. Yeah, yeah. So if if the conditions – now, I'm taking a look at the weather, and I think that what's probably going to happen is it'll rain midweek, which will make the course muddy, 
but on race day, it's going to be so freaking cold that I think that the course is just going to be frozen. frozen. Like it's, it's a low of 22 degrees and it's a high of 42 degrees. And we start at eight in the morning, which means, I mean, we're barely going to be getting to above freezing by the last two hours of the race. Yeah. So did you know that when you're looking at like the low temperature, like if you're so like race day is Saturday morning and trying to figure out like based on the forecast, like what it's going to be that morning, you have to look at the previous day's low because Friday accounts, Friday's low accounts for overnight low. So make sure to check that too, because it might be even colder, which that would be better for like the conditions if it's going to be frozen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if it's, if it's below freezing for the whole race, that will make for a very fast race and it'll definitely be gravel bike conditions. If it, so I think it's going to be gravel bike conditions. I don't think it'll be, but I was, I was way ahead of you on that. I was like, if it's, if it just rains for three days leading into the race and it's going to be a mud fest, I'll probably just ride my drop bar mountain bike with gravel tires so that I have all the mud clearance I could want. Yeah. Dude, but, Tyler, why? So, so everyone gives like specialized and maybe Cannondale, like uh, a bunch of flack for, from coming out with these cross bikes that are actually gravel bikes that, you know, kind of are high, you know, can be used for both. Mm-hmm. Like the new specialized crux is like basically a gravel bike on paper, but that's their cross bike. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's better. Like if you can have 47 mil clearance of like tire clearance, like well, he, wouldn't well, you he, want that for cyclocross? Here's the thing about the crux is that it doesn't have 47 mil clearance. <laughs> what does it have? Know. I've heard people are, ha- I mean, I don't own one of these bikes, so I don't know, but I I've heard that people like if they're running a front derailleur are having issues running 42s. What? You just don't run a front derailleur. <laughs> I I, I don't know what the exact clearance of the bike is, but I don't think you could fit 47s on it. You could fit 47s on the the new, like, full suspension thing that they have, maybe. Well, dude, actually, that'd be interesting to try that in cyclocross, too. We've talked about that before. (laughs) Um, But anyways, wouldn't wouldn't that be better? Like, wouldn't you want more tire clearance for a cyclocross bike? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, but the one difference is that you with cross specifically is you have the ability to change your equipment mid race. So like, yeah, you could have like mud build up, right. You probably want, you probably want as much clearance as possible, but at the same time, like you can go half of a lap and and change your equipment. So it's not as if like in a gravel race, you know, you don't have a pit or a circuit that you're going around that you can just swap bikes or anything like that. So I see. It's, so you're saying like, even if you, even if, you don't have so much mod buildup that it's like affecting your tire rolling. Yeah. Um, you're still going to pit because you're going to have mud other places. So like why have a dirty yeah. bike when you can have a clean bike? I mean, and if it's, if it's that muddy, if it's so muddy that you would need like a, um, like a, like a painter's stir stick to, to clear out your tires. Like you, why are you riding? You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> <laughs> just go home. <laughs> well, no, well, no, not that, but like yeah, <laughs> you see people, I see this a lot and it's, it's always frustrating to me because it's just like, people are stubborn. It's like, why are you riding this section? You should just get off and run. Cause you just get off faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so, I will say too, that most cross races, the mud is, uh, it's not like clay mud, like at mid South and at unbound, but mostly at Mid-South, you can get this clay mud where 
you're basically riding through wet clay. And if you can imagine why riding through wet clay, it just sticks to your tire and then it sticks to your frame and you get significant clogging, which is way different than if you're riding in, I don't know, I, I'm familiar with East Coast mud. Like East Coast mud, you're never going to clog your bike with mud on the East Coast. Like it's it's pretty yeah, but, watery but, but mud. I think I think with cross though, like it's the grass combined mm. with the mud. That's the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just looking at the bike specs and the new crux um says that it's can clear 47C or 650B by 2.1 clearance. All right. That's what they advertise. So I yeah, don't know. I, I, know I think the, the front derailleur does uh, that does affect it though. I, so Dylan, so can your bike clear forty sevens with the front derailleur? Yeah. So I I've had a lot of people say that oh like I'm having issues on on various different bikes have issues with clearance with the front derailleur specifically if they run uh, electronic shifting because the front derailleur with electronic shifting is like so bulbous, mm-hmm. um, but. I, yeah, I don't have an issue with that. I will say that I do cut the side knobs off my 47 pathfinders because technically the, uh, the clearance is 45s on the factor Ostro gravel. So you cut every single side knob off. <laughs> yeah. With what? With, uh, I, I don't know. I've got like a pair of cutters, like wire cutters. Oh my gosh, dude, that would take forever. I mean, it takes like 20 minutes. It's not that big a deal. Per tire? Well, I only do it on the rear tire. I don't do it on the front tire. Oh, the front tire is fine. The front tire, I mean, I could probably fit like 52s on the front. It's got oh, a okay. lot, a lot okay. of clearance, yeah. Hey, Specialized, if you're listening, why don't you pre-cut those side knobs for Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right. Well, good luck this weekend, man. I hope it goes yeah, well. Yeah, thanks. Hope you catch up on sleep before the race. Dude, I got I got eight over eight hours of sleep last night for the first time in probably three months. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty epic. I don't usually get over eight hours either. I usually I almost always get like seven and a half. Because I've started wearing whoop again and it's almost always like seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half. And it's not because I've got stuff to do and I set an alarm. It's like that's just how much what your body wants sleep my body can get and then it's when it gets seven and a half it doesn't want anymore yeah that's fair yeah uh anything else like new stuff we wanted to talk about um i don't know probably not listener questions (laughs) yeah let's go straight to the listener questions dylan did you say that you had some from last week that we didn't get to Uh, yeah i'm sure i did uh let me let me bring them up i think there was one you had one more or something yeah all right, so uh, this is actually a new question. Listening to the Bonk Bros podcast, and I had a question about mountain bikes. How much does weight matter in an endurance race? Is it better to be underbike if lighter, i.e. a hardtail, or have cor- the correct bike and it be heavier? So I'm mm. assuming by the correct bike, he means a full suspension. Yeah. <laughs> um, I So the Lifetime Grand Prix has sort of, changed my stance on this because the lifetime grand prix races are are arguably hardtail courses 
But before the Grand Prix, I pretty much exclusively raced a full suspension. I never raced a hardtail. Um, and I, I stopped asking my sponsors for a hardtail because it just sat in the shed all year and I didn't even use it. That I mean, that being said, I don't know what kind of races you're doing. I mean, there are some races where you could argue that a hardtail is faster. Like a lot of these lifetime Grand Prix races, I think you could make that argument. Um, but I, I'm definitely on the side of pick the correct bike for the course. Don't, don't go for a hardtail because it's two or three pounds lighter. You're probably going to, if it's a technical course, you're probably going to end up being slower overall. Yeah. Um, I'll kind of second that. So it, it, it does definitely depend on the race that you're doing. So for example, last year I raced the Lutzen 99er, which is like a lifetime event. So not technical, but I, I did it on my hardtail because I like took that mentality. I was like, you know, 100 miles. There's some climbing, you know, a fair bit of climbing, um, but it's not technical, right? So like, why would I need a full suspension bike? And the hardtail was not the right bike for that race. Like, it was super bumpy on all the off-road sections. Um, and my my hardtail is only two pounds lighter than my full suspension was last year. So like, it's not a huge weight savings, but. Anyway, so like that race, like on paper, it seemed like it was a hardtail race. But after the race and doing it, I was like, this is definitely a full suspension. And everyone in the top five was on a full suspension. Um, I think there were like there were only like two guys that beat me that were on hardtails. Um, Everyone else was on full suspension. So it does depend on the course very much. Um, But my mentality has definitely shifted too, so much so that I actually like I I sold my full suspension bike because I needed some money to like help pay for the season. Um, and I, 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 I was like trying to decide, like, do I, I listed both bikes basically. And I was like, whichever bike sells first, I'll just sell that one. Um, but like, I only have a hardtail right now and I'm not even like in a rush to try and replace it with something else. Mm-hmm. Cause like sea otter hardtail course, Leadville hardtail course, Schwamigan hardtail course. Iceman, well, see, hardtail yeah. Course. I mean, the thing about all, every race that you listed there is that I, you could say hardtail course, but I think it's more up in the air about which bike is better. I don't, I wouldn't yeah, say hardtail yeah. course for any of those. I would say it, it, there's an argument to be had. Whereas sure. most, yeah. most mountain bike races, I don't think there is an argument to be had. I think it's full suspension course. Agreed. And, yeah. And, uh, it's just interesting that like the lifetime grand prix and this guy is, I don't, he, he may not even be doing lifetime. I have no idea what race he's races he does. And it would be really helpful for his question if we knew what kind of races he was doing. But for the lifetime Grand Prix races, it's it's crazy how every single race, it's like a debate about whether you're going to ride a hardtail or a full suspension. Because in my entire career of racing mountain bikes, that's not really been something that I that I'm concerned with that much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you remember last year, like we were at Schwamigan together. Um you know, I, I brought both bikes and in the end I ended up choosing the full suspension. And like after the race, I was like, it, it, I could have gone either way. Like, I don't know that I was necessarily would have been faster on either bike. Like the hardtail would have been probably faster on some of the uphills and maybe flat sections, but the full suspension was like ripping the downhills. Like it would have probably been a wash. And that's kind of like the races that I knew that were on my calendar. I was like, it could go either way. So like I, I really wasn't picky with like which bike sold first. It was like whichever one someone wants to buy, I guess. Um, but 100%, if, if, if someone's coming to me and they want a race bike, they're like, Hey, it doesn't matter what kind of racing. Um, I would, I would pick the lightest full suspension bike you can afford. Then you kind of get the best of both worlds. Like full suspension 
Yeah. Like I was on the S-Works Epic and like that bike was like 21 pounds. Like, dude, that's like still so light. You know, right. like if you're, if you're racing on a, like a, a cross country bike, that's less than 25 pounds, which is going to be most race bikes these days, I would pick the full suspension all day. I think the caveat that I'll get, I, I agree with you. If you have money to spend, I think the caveat that I'll put there is that if you're on a pretty tight budget and you're spending two grand on your bike mm. or something like that, I think at that price point, you're going to get more bang for your buck out of a hardtail. It's not going to be under 25 pounds. So that yep. goes with my advice. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh, yeah. Do you have more or you want me to go? Uh, let me see if I have more. Uh, you can go. Okay. I don't think I have more. All right, this one comes from Will. He says, yo, Dylan, I have some water bottle questions. Please answer whichever sounds the most interesting. Well, he's got three questions, so we'll just read all of them, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Losing <laughs> bottles mid-race. Do you have any tips for styles or brands of water bottle cages to hang onto bottles on rough surfaces of, for gravel racing? During a gravel race last fall, multiple people in my group had bottles eject on a particularly bumpy descent. How do you keep this from happening? And please don't say get fatter tires. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would help. I mean, yeah, I mean, I dampen would, the vibration. It, it would actually. So, but I would say that for for off road racing in general, a lot of these high end carbon fiber cages. I mean, they're lightweight and they look cool and they're great for road riding, but, and, and I, you know, there are caveats here. There's some carbon cages that are good, but a lot of them are not meant for gravel racing. I would go with, uh, like a, either a steel or a titanium cage. Titanium cages are just as light as carbon cages. So that's what I go with. I use the Silca cages and I don't have an issue with ejecting bottles. I have a, a, some input here. Um, the bond Traeger back cage is one that I have gone to for, and that thing holds bottles, um, pretty well. Uh, however, like I've used it in a cross race before and because it, uh, the way that it holds the bottle, a majority of the bottom of the bottle is exposed. And so I have like actually knocked that <laughs> in the path of my crank arm, which was a fun, uh, thing to rectify mid race. Um, but if you have a, whatever, a plastic water bottle cage, here's what you do. You go to your local skate shop, you go walk in there, you say, I want a, just a roll of deck tape. It's going to cost you $10. And then you just cut out, uh, some of that deck tape because it's like rough sandpaper essentially. And you stick that to the inside of your bottle cages. And I've done that for multiple cages that I have on my bike and it just provides that little bit of extra security. So there you go. Yeah. 10 bucks. Don't have to buy a new cage. Just use what you got. <laughs> All right. So he's got two more questions. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Nutrition for shorter racing. 90 grams per hour is a standard for long endurance races, but for one or one to two hours or less, nutrition is not as important. What are your thoughts on planning nutrition for a shorter race or TT or 45 minute or 90 minute race, for example? How long an event would choosing to go without a bottle cross over from an aero savings perspective to a bonky mistake? So is this person thinking about not taking a bottle for a 90 minute race? He wants to know at what point would you not take a bottle? Uh, well, it's very much weather dependent. Like how hot is it? Uh, I think that as far as nutrition goes, as far as taking in calories, 
Um, see, I feel like if I was a cross racer, I would take a bottle with calories in it, even if it was cold for a 60 minute race. I think maybe under 40 minutes, I wouldn't take in any calories, but All if right. it's so, so will, so you're asking 45 minutes and above need some calories. Yeah. You don't need 90 grams per hour for a race that short, but I would, I mean, I would take in, I don't know, 50 grams an hour. The thing is, when you're going that hard for such a short duration, your gut is really not working well. The harder you're going, the worse your gut is working. So you don't necessarily want to be taking in 90 grams per hour because you might have gut issues. And you don't need 90 grams per hour because it's not you're probably not going to bonk in that short period of time. But I mean, I would I would probably maybe do 50 grams per hour. Um you know, experiment with yourself. Some people can handle more. Some people can handle less. Some people are more prone to bonking. Some people are not. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that can bonk in, in 90 minutes if they really go for it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had a, I had a, I don't think this is true, but I had a friend in college, uh, back when I was racing collegiate who claimed that he could bonk in a 30 minute short track race. If he didn't eat anything, if he, like he, he had drink mix in his bottle and he was like, if I, don't eat anything during this 30 minute short track race. I'll bonk by the end. I was like, I don't know about that. You could just be blowing your wad off the starting line, but (laughs) yeah. So, so he's asking, he like, it seems like he's trying to decide whether or not to bring a a bottle because he's worried about the arrow savings of not, uh, of, you know, having a bottle versus not having a bottle. And he's talking about like, you know, shorter races, like a 45 or 90 minute time trial. Mm. Um, so, I would say like for, for one, like the, the arrow savings of the bottle is going to be way less <clears throat> than coming out of your position to reach for that bottle or drink out of that bottle. So like, mm-hmm. if you're doing a time trial and your bottle isn't like somehow integrated with like a straw that you can just sip out of when you're, when you're still in t- arrow, then that that's like your first problem. Like, yeah, well, so I, I on a on a TT bike or a road bike, having a normal round bottle is probably slower for most bike designs. They they are making bikes now that try to take that into account with you know bigger down tubes and all of that. But for most road bike and TT bikes, having a round bottle is going to slow you down. Yeah. That being said, a lot of TT bikes have integrated bottles that I don't know. They may even make the bike faster. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, if if you if you're doing TTs and you have a bottle that's making your bike faster, I mean, it's like a no brainer to run a bottle. Um, even if you don't drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say probably below if you're doing, it sounds like maybe this guy's doing time trials. If he's worried about aerodynamics and he's doing races this short, I mean, I would say that if you're, if the time trial is going to be under 40 minutes, maybe you don't have to worry about it. Uh, if it's going to be over that, I would be taking in calories and liquid while you're racing. And, and also I will say that if it's a hot day, you should, even if it's below 40 minutes, you should probably be taking in liquid. for sure. Okay. Cool. Last question. Aero solution for non aero water bottle. <clears throat> well, <okay. laughs> when carrying a single bottle for a TT, would you expect a more aero solution to be carrying it in the back pocket were mounted on your aero bars. So like basically mm. like he says X lab torpedo, but basically if you think about it, like between your, your elbows. So 
it totally depends on your position and your your body shape and all of this. These are so so many of these aerodynamic questions, unless it's like a blatantly obvious one, like uh, I don't know, you know, wearing baggy shorts versus regular. <laughs> so many of these aero questions are so individual because aer- aerodynamics is not really that intuitive. It's not, it's not like, and, and also there's so many different body shapes and bike shapes and, and aero bar shapes and all of this. And what I will say about that is that just because something is more aerodynamic for one person does not mean it's more aerodynamic for another person. People that, people that test aero helmets will tell you this, like aero helmets can have wildly different results when you put them on different people. So both of those scenarios that you're talking about um, have been shown to improve the aerodynamics on certain setups. Uh, How much one is going to improve the aerodynamics versus the other is probably individual. So it's really hard to say which is going to be faster off of the limited information that I have. I I think you're looking at the problem wrong. (laughs) Which bottle... you're you're looking at it as if the bottle is static. It's just staying sure. there the whole race, dude. If that yeah. bottle's in your back pocket, you got to come out of arrow every time you want to take a sip. That's a great point. And yeah. it's gonna take you're gonna be out of arrow a lot longer each time you take a sip too. So, one hundred percent, do that thing up on that X Labs torpedo with a straw. Never get out of arrow. Boom. Yeah. Way to be practical, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. This one. Oh, sick. This one's from Daniel, number nice. one fan. Uh, okay, so he says, Bonk Rose, I've re-engineered the power rankings, and I'm using elite field strength now instead of total field strength, which allows me to look at results from smaller races, not just races with 750-plus participants. Makes sense. Uh, these rankings might go on the Pure Gravel Power Ranking website later this year. Sick. Uh, on his recap, John Borstelman, who is in the Lifetime Grand Prix, and Dylan and I expected to see on the podium at Rock Cobbler, since he was defending his second place from last year, stated, I didn't feel any pressure to race for a podium result today after a frustrating slog over punishing terrain and rubber side down episode, so he must have crashed. But next month, it'll be time to go for broke and leave nothing on the table. Uh, So looking at the table below, it would be great to hear your thoughts on the following. How do pros think about preseason slash non-lifetime Grand Prix races? It seems that pros out there, it seems there are pros out there taking them seriously in racing, as we saw with Chris Blevins and Pete Stetna at Grasshopper and Rock Cobbler. So you also have to balance that with lower injury risk and lower risk tolerance in gravel. How do pros think about these preseason B races where you are still in your base phase, but you also want a strong performance and results? Um... I don't know. The, the table below is confusing. It's just, I think it just shows like a start list for something. Okay. Maybe for, maybe that was for rock cobbler. I'm not, um, I'm not sure. But um, anyways, like the table shows like a, you know, a bunch of guys that are, you know, would be considered like pro level versus like guys that are also like pro level and in the grand prix. So, yeah, I mean, one thing I will say is that I don't think that Blevins was taking Grasshopper seriously. I mean, he won the <laughs> race, but I don't, you know, it's probably just because he's incredibly talented. You know, you don't have to be taking a race seriously to win it if you're just strong, so much stronger than everyone else there. Um, True. So he 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 won that race. Do you think right? Pete was taking it seriously? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think Pete takes every race. I don't think Pete has 
has it in him to not take a race seriously, whether it's, uh, you know, a grasshopper race or unbound, you know? Dude, but that's like so against the spirit of gravel. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that the big, the big difference, I, so I don't know specifically what John Bolsterman did to not take the race seriously, whether he was just Borstelman. Borstelman. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? You said Bolstelman. <laughs> okay. Sorry, John. All right. So <laughs> I don't know what he was doing to not take the race seriously. Maybe he was just, you know, chilling on the descents. I don't, I, I think that's a pretty technical race, right? Yeah. Super. It, it looked like, you know, pretty gnarly. Yeah. Seemed like a good race for the Franken bike if I had gone, but oh well. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what he, you know, maybe he was just not taking as many risks or, or whatever the deal was, but, uh, I, Probably the biggest difference is how much of a taper these riders do for these races. So if it's an A race, they'll probably be tapering a week or more. And if it's a very low level training race or or early season race, then they probably won't taper at all. It's just part of their training. Um, And personally for me, that's, that's how I do it. And personally for me, when it actually comes to race day, I'm not going to try any less hard because it's a C race. Uh, I'll still try hard, but I just may be carrying a little bit more fatigue into that race from training as opposed to doing like a week long taper. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, and I think, you know, kind of going back to like, you know, John's example there, like, because it's a low priority race, like if you have them, like, I would say he probably started the race with the mentality of like, Hey, I'm here to win. But like, because he had so many mishaps, he probably wasn't willing to like go so far to the well that like, he was compromising the next week of training because he like went so deep to like try and bring back the front group, you know, like he might've had it in him physically to do that. Um, but it's just not worth it for him. So like there, you probably do make those like mid race decisions based on like where you're at in the season and what priority level the race is. Like, do you go harder than you can or need to? Um, you know, so for him, that's probably part of what made that, you know, that decision, but I, I I would almost guarantee that he didn't start the race with that mentality of like, hey, if something goes bad, I'm you know going to yeah. pull the plug. Like he just didn't want anything to go bad. Right. I will say that I had I I've had a little bit of shift in my opinion on on this after last year when I felt like I over raced myself. Um, I used to be the the kind of dude that would be like, hey, if there's a starting line and a finish line, I am going to give a hundred percent no matter what happens in this race. And I would say that I'm still that person when it comes to unbound or Leadville, it doesn't matter how many flats I get. It doesn't matter if I bonk, I am giving a hundred percent to get the best results I can at those races. But I will say that if you give a hundred percent in a training race, that's not, that's already not going to be a good result. It is going to disrupt your training because you're going to be more fatigued and it's going to take you longer to recover. So it's almost like you're getting very little return on your investment for, you know, if you've, if you've already had a flat tire in a training race, for example, like you're getting very little return on your investment at that in, in, unless the goal of that day was to be like, completely empty the tank but i i'm i'm also kind of changing my opinion on how many times a year you should really empty the tank to be honest with you so yeah what i'm getting at is that if you if the race is already not going your way and it's a c priority race there's very little return on investment for just continuing to bang your head into the wall to try to get a you know 12th place finish (laughs) you know what i mean 
Tyler, do you ever think about that? Like when you were racing cross, like, you know, cause like cyclocross, it's so easy to go to the well, like every single time you race, because that's sort of like the demands of the race. But do you ever think about that? Like mid race, like, you know, ah, it's just isn't the day. Like, you know, I'm not, not getting a good result here anyways. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, conserve some energy. Like one, maybe you've got another race tomorrow or like, you know, you've got other races to, you know, on the calendar down, you know, down the line. Yeah. I mean, I think like with cross racing or I don't know, even, even, I don't know, any type of race, right. You take everything in context, or at least that's what I always tell my athletes. Like we have to take everything in context of like, and set our expectations accordingly. So, you know, if it's, if I'm at the end of a, a long racing block, like I don't think I'll, I probably, and I'm traveling a lot, then, you know, the, the freshness for those races probably isn't going to be as high. Um, yeah. And I think you just, uh, I don't know if you like pack it in, maybe you just kind of know like where you're at and maybe instead of trying to chase the the group ahead, you just kind of like, okay, I'm just in this group here riding for whatever position. And instead of trying to get to the front of the race, I'm just going to try to win this group instead. And that's going to be kind of what I got today. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as athletes, we have to always take things in into context and like what's surrounding the race. And then also kind of where are you at in your season and yeah. Yeah. Align yeah. our expectations. Yeah. I think, I think you like, yeah, I think aligning expectations is important, you know, cause that's, that's going to help you make that mid race decision. Like if you mm-hmm. go into the race and you have your priorities established correctly, then like if it comes time where you have to decide, like, do I go all the way to the well or do I just, you know, throw up the white flag and consider this like a hard training day? Like it's going to be a lot easier to make that decision. If you, if you come into the race with, with proper expectations, it doesn't mean yeah. that you can't start the race trying to exceed those expectations, but when it comes time that like you already see like what the outcome is going to potentially be, like then if your expectations are set right, then it makes that decision a little bit easier. So like for me, like on Sunday, like <clears throat> my expectations of myself are pretty low. Like I'm setting <laughs> setting the bar quite low because I'm just I'm coming in with like not very much fitness, like you know training in the winter where I live is like, is difficult. Like I've, I've only done like a couple four hour plus rides this year. Um, you know, so like I'm already on the back foot compared to a lot of these guys that have been training in the desert all winter. So like, I'm going to go out and like hang with the front group, like for as long as I can. But if it comes a time where like, I have to like really push myself into the red and I'm just in like, I'm just not hanging. Like then I'm going to be content with like just getting through the race and like, taking the result as it is um, and not and, trying to you know compromise anything else. And see, the thing is, I know there's going to be people listening to this that think that this is like a very defeatist attitude to have to not push to hundred percent in every single race. But I think what you got to zoom out and think about the longevity of the season versus this one race. Um, right. And, and so, you know, I, I, I probably would have agreed with those people a year or two ago, but I, I'm, I'm starting to come around on this, on this idea that every single race needs to be like you, you're on the floor at the finish line. Cause you're so gassed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I, I would say that's a little bit different for, for pros versus, you know, elites versus amateurs. Well, it part depends of, on of, how, how many races you're doing a year. I don't think it's pros versus amateurs i think it's are you racing 40 days a year or are you racing five days a year yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the frequency definitely <laughs> makes a difference but but i think elites elite athletes have 
an ability to push themselves harder, further, more often than, than, you know, amateur athletes too. So like you have to keep that in mind too. Like I can push myself really hard even when I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And like my result probably, I shouldn't say this, but like, like the, the, the results are for different reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there, there is like, there, there could be motivation for me to push myself as hard as I can every single time. But me pushing myself as hard as I can might be beyond what someone else can. And that's going to like put me at a, a you know, uh, in like a more, you know, deeper in the hole. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, plus I, I think we're also pretty, pretty well in tune with like where those limits are. Like I know how to push myself 95%, which is going to still be pretty fast. But pushing myself 100% is, like, exponentially harder and more detrimental on my overall, like, physical state. So, yeah. like, there is knowing that limit. Um, I, I hear I hear uh, weightlifter people talk about this frequently. Like, how often do you, you know, do you do your one rep max? Or how often do you push yourself to your absolute limit in the gym? Um, I don't hear about it as much in the cycling space, but I think it is something that coaches and athletes should talk about more is, is how often do you push yourself to your max? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's probably less frequently than you would assume. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like for a lot of the athletes that, that we work with, it's like, again, like that max, that max is not just physical max, but also like mental and emotional max, right? Cause you have, everybody's got other contexts that they're going on and it's, endurance sport is just you know how much can you tolerate too right like adam you could come fly in flying for bwr but like what would that have taken you know six hour trainer rides and like you know, do you really want to do that for for the first race of the season uh um, for sure yeah and and yeah. yeah i guess again you just have to consider like the arc of the season and what do you want that to look like and yeah to your point Dylan, like how do how often do you go to the well and like do your your one rep max in terms of training and racing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, hey boys, I I'm gonna have to jump here because I've got an athlete call here coming up. Do you guys want to stay on? I can leave the leave the recording open, or should we shut it down? Uh, we can just end it. I don't have I don't have the questions in front of me, so we'll All just right. talk about tires, anyways. Dude, the, the next question was a tire question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Here, okay, all right. I, I'll let you answer it really ask, quick. Ask the next question, leave, and we'll we'll start talking about it. Well, you might answer it super quick because we've already touched on it. So okay. he's doing a gravel <laughs> this, this one comes from Jay. He's doing a gravel race. It's called the Dirty South Roubaix in Illinois. 50% pavement, 50% gravel. He wants to know tire width. What width you recommend? He's he says he's an old guy, 190 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Nice. Wow. <laughs> um, he says I'm actually a chubby geezer with arthritis and no hopes of seeing it in front of the. Okay. So tire width, go. 47s. <laughs> I mean, I would need to know the the chunkiness of the gravel, but I yeah, I mean, there's a good chance I would run 47s for that race. I definitely wouldn't run anything less than 40. So would you run like basically whatever the widest tire he can fit on his bike? Yeah, probably. Probably. All right. There we go. Jay, if you can squeeze 47s, do it. Yeah. All right. Let's turn this bad boy off. All right. See you guys. All right. See you guys. See ya.